Hello, Hi Rock. Welcome to our daily devotional. We're continuing our walk through the book of Isaiah. We are in Isaiah chapter 36, assorted verses. And Michael, if you would read for us, that would be wonderful. Hear the word of the Lord. In the 14th year of King Hezekiah's reign, King Sennacherib of Assyria came to attack the fortified towns of Judah and conquered them. Then the Assyrian king's chief of staff told them to give this message to Hezekiah. This is what the great king of Assyria says. What are you trusting in that makes you so confident? Do you think that mere words can substitute for military skill and strength? Who are you counting on that you have rebelled against me? On Egypt? If you lean on Egypt, it will be like a reed that splinters beneath your weight and pierces your hand. Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, is completely unreliable. But perhaps you will say to me, we are trusting in the Lord our God. But isn't he the one who was insulted by Hezekiah? Didn't Hezekiah tear down his shrines and altars and make everyone in Judah and Jerusalem worship only at the altar here in Jerusalem? I'll tell you what, strike a bargain with my master, the king of Assyria. I will give you 2,000 horses if you can find that many men to ride on them. With your tiny army, how can you think of challenging even the weakest contingent of my master's troops, even with the help of Egypt's chariots and charioteers? What's more, do you think we have invaded your land without the Lord's direction? The Lord himself told us, attack this land and destroy it. Then the chief of staff stood and shouted in Hebrew to the people on the wall, listen to this message from the great king of Assyria. This is what the king says. Don't let Hezekiah deceive you. He will never be able to rescue you. Don't let him fool you into trusting in the Lord by saying, the Lord will surely rescue us. This city will never fall into the hands of the Assyrian king. Don't listen to Hezekiah. These are the terms the king of Assyria is offering. Make peace with me. Open the gates and come out. Then each of you can continue eating from your own grapevine and fig tree and drinking from your own well. Then I will arrange to take you to another land like this one, a land of grain and new wine, bread and vineyards. Don't let Hezekiah mislead you by saying, the Lord will rescue us. Have the gods of any other nations ever saved their people from the king of Assyria? What God of any nation has ever been able to save its people from my power? So what makes you think that the Lord can rescue Jerusalem from me? But the people were silent and did not utter a word because Hezekiah had commanded them, do not answer him. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I think one of the things that's going on here is that I, I like to think of this scene as being a spiritual conversation but a dishonest spiritual conversation. We, we talk a lot about the value of honesty at High Rock and, and even the value that um, we want to honor any honest questions and we want to engage in conversations with people on, you know, whenever there's honesty on the table, anything's open for discussion. But the vassal of, uh, or the, the, the chief of staff of the Assyrian king is not interested in an honest discussion. He's not interested in the truth. He's simply interested in getting a win. He wants the submission of the people of Judah. Truth is only a tool to get what he wants. So it is not an honest conversation. He uses a lot of uh, methods and tools and, and, and uh, um, 
ways of manipulating people and pressuring people that display this kind of lack of honesty. Uh, a couple of them. First of all, he does rely on unassailable truths, right? So he, he begins with the truth. He says in verse six, you know, you can't depend on Egypt. If you lean on Egypt, it's just going to break underneath your weight. It's going to splinter. The Pharaoh is totally unreliable, which is true. Egypt was not going to support them. Egypt was trying to use them, as a matter of fact. And then if the truth doesn't work, he moves on in verse eight to ridicule. He says, you know, I tell you what, I'm going to give you 2000 horses. Now, at that time, horses are something that's extremely expensive. Uh, Israel could not afford to keep horses, especially uh, considering that they're mostly a, a desert climate. He says, I'm going to give you 2000 horses if you can even find people to ride them. It's kind of like saying, you know, I could beat you with one arm tied behind my back. It's a kind of a, a classic bully move and it's a you know, ridicule. And then he moves on to threats. He says uh, in verse 12, when he starts to speak to all the people who are on the wall, he says, basically, if you resist me, um, you're going to have to suffer. You're going to suffer so bad. You're going to be so hungry and thirsty. We didn't actually read this first, but you're going to be so hungry and thirsty that you're going to you drink your own waste and eat your own waste. That's how bad it's going to be. That's the, the threat. But then he moves back, you know, kind of like the he's playing. He's he doesn't have two people. So he's playing good cop, bad cop all by himself. So then the good cop side comes out with this manipulative insincerity in verse 16 and 17 after the threats where he says, you know, I promise you this, you're going to have your own vine and your own fig tree. You'll be able to go back to your own home, drink from your own well. Everything's going to be fine. Um, but then he adds, and then I'll take you to another land that's just like that. In other words, if you read between the lines, uh, it means I'm going to take you away as captives. You're no longer going to be able to live in your home. So there's this kind of insincere uh, manipulation. He's appealing to their emotions. And then finally, uh, there's this kind of perverted, uh, misunderstood or misrepresented theology that goes all throughout. Uh, in verse uh, seven, he says, you know, Hezekiah has insulted God. So God's not going to protect him because Hezekiah went and destroyed all these shrines. But that was actually part of a spiritual renewal. Hezekiah was removing all these shrines that were involved in uh, unfaithful worship and, and worship would just be at, at um at the temple in Jerusalem. So, but the, the enemy is misrepresenting this. And, and then he says, you know, the Lord told us to attack this land. So we're here on the Lord's behest. But then he says, you know, but the Lord's not going to be able to protect you. So he's, he's obviously going to be going beyond that. So in all of this, I see all this kind of manipulation and bullying because the discussion really isn't an honest one. He's not seeking truth. He's just seeking uh, a manipulative victory. And what can you respond to in a situation like that? What can be your response? I think, you know, we, we're not facing off in our lives against uh, the uh, lieutenants or uh, chief of staff of a king of, of, of Assyria or, or an enemy like that. But sometimes when we get into spiritual conversations or when people challenge our trust in God, our faith in God, which is what this guy is doing to the Israelites or to the, the people living in Judah. And oftentimes we're tempted to, to rise up and stand up for God and, and, and make a stand. And, uh, you know, I, I think on occasion that can be the right thing to do. And, and maybe if you're the person who's equipped to do that, but I think especially young people are often kind of deceived into thinking they know more and understand more than they actually do. And then they enter these fights and, and nobody wins. And really, I think the best strategy when someone wants to engage in an honest conversation is yes, engage in that conversation, you know, seek out those conversations. But when someone is just looking for a win, just looking for a win, then there can't be any real winners 
when it comes to that. And I think it's best to be just like they did here, to be silent or to remove yourself from the situation. I I'm reminded of a saying that someone said to me, uh, kind of challenging me, said, you know, don't wrestle with pigs uh, because you both get dirty and the pig likes it. So in other words, the only way to win is to not play the game at all. But of course, this takes a lot of patience and wisdom. And uh, I didn't have it when I was young. So I got into a lot of these discussions where uh, things did not, uh, I, nobody was a winner. And I've learned a lot since then. And I think this is a great scene to remind us that uh, there is no winner in a conversation where honesty is not a shared value. Uh, Michael, I'm wondering what you see here and especially, you know, how you've seen this uh, kind of dynamic play out in your own life. Yeah, I think as you, as you were speaking, um, one thing that came to mind as I was reflecting on the text is how this was like a public proclamation. And mm -hmm. so I think that's often a time when you can discern that the person isn't trying to be honest or most likely not trying to actually um, benefit you in any way or help you or come to kind of some kind of like shared agreement, um, particularly when there's threats involved. But it just made me think about like when a public call out happens, you can oftentimes, you know, I've seen like on Facebook or Twitter formally or X formally known as Twitter, um, where people will be like, hey, can you like direct message me? And then the person just keeps going on and on. Right. And and doesn't doesn't end the fight or doesn't isn't willing to like connect with you offline. And I think, you know, that's that's helpful. I think like just to think in terms of our social media world when people call you out public, like that's definitely a space where I think it is really helpful to just take things um, in a more one-on-one -on -one or private kind of matter. And um, and doesn't mean you have to go alone. You can bring people into that, but just to not do it on like the public domain. And I know that has been um, the case in my life where I'm not, I'm not really big on social. And, um, but part of the reason why is just knowing myself um, and knowing how I can just become super anxious and super like defensive um, and unfortunately I've probably been more of like the Lieutenant in this situation than the, the, the Israelites who are, um, told to be silent. And, but recently, um, I think, I think one thing I've been thankful for is, um, growth and learning in this area where, um, I try to just practice silence in general. Uh, and particularly because what I noticed was when I, there's times when I realized, realized I didn't have much, to, I didn't have anything to say, but because I felt like I need, like I needed to defend myself and I didn't have any other tools, my automatic response was to say something back, was to fight back. But in my own times of now, I practice solitude and silence. And what I found is I now have another response, um, but it's because I've practiced that. And so in these moments where um, there's like um, anger or disagreement or just someone really um, being dishonest or manipulative, I'm able to lean on another tool, but only because I've like practiced that tool. And, and it's been one where, um, I don't come out a winner, but I also don't come out feeling like I lost. Um, and particularly in areas like character and integrity and, um, just things that I, I think, yeah, maybe humility even too, like that silence reflects a humility and a strength. Uh, and I, and I can say that confidently because when Jesus was put on trial and he had to take the stand, it says he was silent. He didn't. He didn't speak um, to the the things that were set against him. He didn't try to defend God. He didn't try to defend himself. Uh, and I think that if we if we want to if we have that lie that comes to our mind that says silence is weak, it's like well, our Savior um, showed great strength um, with silence. And and I think we have models of that even beyond Jesus. But not that we need any ones beyond Jesus. But um, we do have other other examples of that as well. Hmm. 
Yeah, and we're we're gonna see. You know, silence isn't the the only possible response. Um, we're gonna see uh, in tomorrow's devotional. We're gonna see when the word comes to King Hezekiah, another way of responding as well. But it's gonna be in somewhat the same vein. So, but we'll have to wait for that uh, for tomorrow. But in in any case, I think one of the things about this discussion is to remember. You know, Jesus says. Um, you know, going back to Jesus, Jesus says that when uh, people say, you know wrong things about you and accuse you of all kinds of things because of Jesus, that you don't need to defend yourself in the end because they're not attacking you. They're attacking Jesus. They're attacking God. And and God doesn't need you to defend, uh, doesn't need your defense. And that's something that's going on here in this situation is the, uh, the king of Assyria has gone from attacking Judah to now attacking God because he's made it about a spiritual thing saying, look, none of these gods can protect you. And, and, you know, could protect their people. And so your God is not going to be able to protect you either because your God is just like all other gods. So really, uh, um, Sennacherib's uh, lieutenant, has, uh, chief of staff, has basically made this a spiritual contest. It was a military contest, but it's become a spiritual one. And especially in, in that context, I think uh, King Hezekiah's uh, command to the uh, Israelites to just keep silent and not answer him is, is really the right call. And like you said, it takes uh, some maturity, some patience. And I think more than anything, it probably just takes, uh, I think, which, what you, which is what you were pointing to is takes trusting God to know that this is God's battle, not ours. Uh, we're not, when, when God's name is on the line, it's not something we can win. It's up to God. So uh, Michael, I'm wondering if you have any uh, final observations or encouragements, and if you would pray for us. Yeah, I think I'll let my final encouragement just be the prayer for us. So, okay. Yeah. Lord, thank you for this word. And God, thank you for the example that we can grab a hold of. God, I pray that we would remember that you are a defender, um, that you are our protector, and that your word, even when we're silent, still resounds. God, I pray that we would be people who can sit in the silence and find strength from you. Um, and not in our own words, and not in our own cleverness or our own defenses, Lord. To your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, um, thank you for joining us, everyone. And if you are someone who finds yourself in this kind of position where your faith in God is attacked, uh, especially by someone who is uh, in authority above you, maybe it's your a parent, maybe it's a boss, maybe it's someone else who has some type of positional authority. I hope you um, are able to find some peace and uh, confidence in that and, and rest in uh, rest in the peace that comes from Jesus Christ. So in any case, go in peace. And I hope you're able to join us tomorrow as we continue this scene with Hezekiah facing off against the king of Assyria. Go in peace.